0: Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Easy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. After taking last week off and getting a chance to visit my mom for the first time in two years, we have another great podcast for you. I actually conducted one interview while I was visiting my mom, watching Billy Fulpen blow some leaves, enjoying crab fries at Chickies and Peaks, getting pretzels from the Philadelphia Pretzel Factory, and making the pilgrimage to Wawa. I guess you can figure out where I was. You'll hear that interview from last Thursday in just a moment. Here's a hint. He's an ESPN sports center anchor and a frustrated Philadelphia area sports fan like me. Later on, I'll talk baseball with Hall of Famer John Smoltz, who is playing in this weekend's American Century Championship Celebrity Golf Tournament. I asked Smoltz about his thoughts on the Atlanta Braves pitcher and Shenandoah graduate Ian Anderson, the state of Major League Baseball, and his golf game. Then I'll talk about the latest in sports media with Ken Fang of Awful Announcing. A couple topics include the legacy of the NHL and NBC – and the controversy surrounding ESPN NBA host Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor. I should note that my interview with Ken took place late Tuesday morning. Shortly after the interview concluded, ESPN announced that Malika Andrews would be replacing Nichols as the sideline reporter for the NBA Finals between the Milwaukee Bucks and Phoenix Suns. My first guest will be hosting the National Spelling Bee Finals Thursday night on ESPN2. And he's also a Philadelphia sports fan like me, and uh, we have a lot to commiserate about. It's uh, ESPN Sports Center anchor Kevin Nagandhi. Kevin, welcome to the podcast, and I appreciate a few minutes.
1: Chan, it's my pleasure, man. It is my pleasure, and I'm glad we can catch up this way. Well, we'll
0: talk about the Philly sports teams in a moment. Let's talk about some good things here, the spelling bee. How much fun is it to be back doing it?
1: I love it. And I, you know, I... I was a little sad when uh, my schedule didn't work out uh, because of the 6 p.m. Sports Center with the NBA playoffs. So I was out of it, out of the mix for a couple of years. And uh, I just love the opportunity to be back. Uh, I love the storylines. Um, I think I think it's very comparable to watching any sporting event in the sense of the competition and the preparation and uh, you go through the emotions and the ups and downs for these these brilliant kids. And uh, for them to do it in person too uh, will be pretty cool because they've had virtual competitions for the last 18 months, or let's just say 15 months now. And um, for them to go face to face in a competition um, in person in Orlando, I, I think it's 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 going to be a great celebration on Thursday night.
0: Yeah, I mean, what impresses me, I you know, I, you know flip around and you know, catch these uh, students uh, with the spelling bee, the words they're spelling. I mean, I've never heard of them. I don't think I'll ever use them. And these uh, these students just are able to rattle them off. And I'm just like, my goodness, uh, my thing when I was in grade school back in the day was like, I was worried about the uh, I before E except after C rule.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, each each uh, kid has a different, uh, you know, a different story on how they got into it, but many of the common ones, we've talked to the 11 finalists one-on-one, and many of the common themes uh, have been, hey, you know, my teacher in first grade or my kindergarten teacher, you know, put me in a spelling bee, and I didn't prepare, and I just tried, and then, boom, uh, I came in first place or second place or third place and I loved it. And then they build off of that and they realize at age five, six, this is something they want to do. And and many of them are Indian Americans who watch, you know, uh, prior spelling bees and and they they all, the community is very small. They all know somebody that knows somebody and the competitions are are very um, intense. So their preparation they have they have coaches just like you would have like a a basketball coach they have competitions like you would go to like some type of baseball all-star game they have all of that so this is very much like that for them this is a sport in their mind um and i i'm blown away by the challenging words because i think we're all under this impression that it's you know the, the toughest words are 10 to 12 to 14 letters You would find out from talking to them, the toughest challenge for these kids are the five, six letter words, the tricky words. Right. Mm -hmm, And uh, we talk about that all the time, about like that, that stumbled a lot of uh, the finalists in the semifinals um, and they found a way to not over-complicate things, right? Because you you want to be prepared, but there is a there's a situation, too, that you could be over-prepared. And uh, to go back to the basics and, and for them to sort it out in real time, under a timer, under a deadline, under that pressure, is pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah. I think one year they had, like, the tri-champions a, a
1: few years ago? Oh, the Octo-champs. The Octo-champs, Octo Champs. yeah, Champs. yeah. And that was uh, two years ago. The last time it was on um, – was on stage, so, uh, you know, that, that obviously was history um, in, in front of us, and I, I do not think we'll have an Octo Champ situation again. We'll have a spell-off if the if this, uh, finalists want to have a spell-off, which will be great, where they'll have a, a certain amount of time, and they'll have to have, they'll, they'll go through a, um, the same words as each finalist, and we'll see how many words that they can get correct, which i think uh which i think is great too and, and and i think the octo champs should be celebrated as well all eight of them were all deserving they were all fantastic but you get to a point where you're spelling literally all day you, you, that day was a a, a a semi-final and you're you're starting in the the morning you're going you take a break during the afternoon you come back all night i mean those kids could have gone well into the night, and, and at, at, at that point, it's like, all right, it, it's survival of the fittest, and it's like a five-overtime game, and who's just left standing, right? Right. <laughs> I mean,
0: what about these students? I mean, the, the enormous, you mentioned they have coaches, but the, the pressure they feel, I mean, what is it like? I mean, how cool and calm are these kids with, uh, with being in the spotlight like this on national television?
1: Can I draw inspiration from that? Because many of them will tell you that they're um, that they're nervous and that they tell themselves, hey, you've prepared enough. And, and I'm blown away by that. Their, their comfort on stage is, I've done all the work that I can do. And uh, when, when you know a 10 year old, 11 year old, 12 year old, 13 year old can tell you that you're 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 just blown away because it's it's a quick reminder to yourself that hey yeah it's all about preparation right um so i I just find that so amazing that these kids mentally are are tough enough they prepare for it um and that they want to have fun we've had we've talked to some kids who've said i can't wait to be face to face uh the virtual was harder Uh, We've had other kids who say, well, the virtual was easier because I was at home, and now I have to mentally be prepared for public speaking. We've had kids who said, hey, I've done two things. I've prepared for spelling, and I've prepared for the public speaking. So it's wild that um, each one has a different approach, yet at the same time they are all coming together, and they're all going to be tested. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about... uh our Philadelphia sports team. I have been mean, wanting to try to get away to get you on to talk about that. And just, I mean, I've grown up in, in, in this t- in Philadelphia. I mean, I'm at 57 years old. I mean, we've had some bad teams over the years, but I think we're at a stage now where it seems everything's going wrong. The Sixers, you know, blow it against the Hawks. The Phillies are just awful. The Eagles are a dysfunctional team and the Flyers, you know, miss, make the playoffs every other year. What has a Philadelphia sports fan. Do you feel like we need therapy at this point?
1: I yeah, you know, Ken, I, I fought this for a while after, uh, you know, the magical 2017 season and winning the Super Bowl at the start of 2018. I, I thought, all right, well, this will give us a break. Maybe this opens the door to some good fortune because I, I think we're very relatable when it comes to heartbreak as a fan base to Boston. And remember when the Patriots won and – in 2001, and then you saw what the Red Sox did in 2003. It, it kind of opened the door for a decade of of all four pro major teams um, doing really well for, for the Boston market, right? And I thought, like, the Sixers were on the cusp um, after that Super Bowl with the Eagles. And we all thought, hey, the Eagles are back, you know, the Eagles are gonna have a nice run here. The Sixers were turning the corner. The Phillies just signed Bryce Harper. There was some hope there with uh, the flyers in the last year with Carter Hart. It, it, it now has turned into are, are we? Did we just sell our soul in 2018 for a Super Bowl for for all the misery across the board? Right with the, with the four for fours, and and that's what we're experiencing. Right, the frustration, the heartbreak. It it just yeah, it's. It's really tough because I I actually felt, Ken, that, uh, you know, in the early part of about a decade ago in, like, the 2012, 2013, 2014, it felt like we were in the dark ages of Philadelphia sports across the board. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, if we bottom out kind of like what the Sixers did and exactly what the Phillies did, that we would rise again. And and the Eagles did that, too. They pressed the reset button when, you know – uh, after the firing of Chip and then drafting Carson, it was like, all right, we're, we're going to just basically go go all in on a quarterback, and and we pressed that reset button, hackstool, and all the stuff we had to go through with that, and we're we're all over, uh, we're back at the same spot again, just a yeah. lot more heartbreak and frustration and anger, and like, what what else is next? And there's no solution because you know we go from the natural tendency, Ken, right? Is yeah. all right. Sixers let us down. Let's go to the Phillies. Yeah, and then you see what the Phillies have done. We, we carry over that 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 Sixers angst and disappointment into the Phillies. And then you see, you know, I, I thought the, bull, uh, the bullpen obviously has been the biggest story. I thought they turned the corner at the start of the season. They've been horrendous, uh, historically bad, carrying over a theme from a historically bad situation last year. And here's the most frustrating part about this, Ken, is that the, the managerial decisions all questionable each and every night. And they've got new arms in that bullpen compared to the previous years. And they're still letting us down. Yeah, And this bullpen by committee has been horrendous. So, like, here we go. So, we go from the Sixers' just disappointment to now the Phillies' anger to now, all right, we're going to carry it over and, and can we hang our hat on this Eagles team? We can't. Because, no. I mean, they – they were they were at the center of all the dysfunction all of last year, so uh, I think uh, there's no lifeline that's bailing us out as we are treading water here.
0: What about the Ben Simmons situation? Is it you know they say they want to they're going to work with him to get him to shoot, but are we at the point now with him is to just say maybe it's best to you know cut our losses and ship them somewhere else?
1: Uh, Ken, I've been on the fence with this back and forth because. I, it feels like Carson Wentz 2.0, right? Right. Like uh, you have a a foundational player, and you know, then you're thinking about and he and he's broken, just the same way Carson was broken. The mental aspect is taking over the physical uh, talents, and now it's like, okay, how do we get over the hurdle? And if you trade you know, a foundational piece that we just saw a year ago, you trade them now on pennies on the dollar and then you see the success somewhere else. Cause I think Carson's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the MVP conversation this season. I I'm curious to see long-term what he's going to be like. Cause, uh, a lot of that is, uh, the stubbornness of Carson Wentz. And doesn't that sound similar to the stubbornness of Ben Simmons, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, not taking proper uh, teaching in the sense of we've got to work on something and let's do better, and this will and this confidence of i got it, I've got it, it's so similar to Carson. It's the same situation with Ben. Ben's only 24, and I just think you get pennies on the dollar. But at the same time, there's a domino effect here, Ken. You don't figure this out. You lose the opportunity of Joel and B yep staying in philadelphia i i think that is the elephant in the room that they've got to have a solution with ben because if they don't you could be stuck with losing both players and right now like you just hope that this is the wake-up call for simmons um because the talent is there. It's all mental. It is it is all mental. And this city... I, you know, I got really annoyed by people. Who are like, oh, Philly fans are, are the worst. They're so tough on him. Are you kidding me? Philly fans have been beyond supportive of Ben Simmons. They want him to succeed. They're just frustrated that they haven't got... We haven't seen the, the growth. And we're seeing some stubbornness with the shooting. Like, that's what it is. Philly fans will... We'll support you if you're trying. Yeah. And it felt like he was no longer trying to shoot the basketball. And that's what got Philadelphia fans upset. Yeah. But to, to catch a bad rap on, hey, we're not supporting players, are, come on. That is that is so ridiculous. And it just it tells me that you don't watch enough of Philadelphia sports to understand who we are and what we do and how we support you. We support Ben Simmons. It's just we're frustrated. And I think everybody's frustrated. You, you, throughout the organization, he's frustrated. I mean, that's why he, he admitted that he's got to take a break and get right mentally. So uh, right now I would hold off on trading him because of the value. Uh, Daryl Morey's in an in a interesting, interesting situation because Daryl, I know, will do anything and everything he can to make sure the best team is on the floor next year and i think he's going to i think he's going to say all right how do we surround joel with the best players right now to win now because we're in win now mode that window gets smaller and smaller it's just i think really tough for all, all of us to swallow when you see what what is happening in the east and you see what happened in the west with injuries to every single team yeah. and this sixers team was you know joel was hurt but the sixers team was Relatively healthy, and go figure. The Danny Green injury just devastated the team because we lost his veteran leadership and the, and his size, and, and it crushed us.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Carson Wentz. I, I, it just amazes me how many how the fan base forgot how good he was in twenty seventeen before the injury, and then he, and he led that team in twenty eighteen. You got him or uh, twenty nineteen to get him into the playoffs, and then last year the interception late in the first half in the opening game against the Washington uh, football team, just that seemed to turn the season around when Wentz's confidence. And I I just, I I think people just forget uh, how good he was uh, in that 2017. He wouldn't have been the MVP if he didn't get hurt. Ken, I
1: I go into that 2019 even, when that team was awful and injuries crushed them and what he did in that final month, right? Right. Carrying the team to the playoffs. I, I was the biggest Carson Wentz supporter. Um. I had a really tough time defending him in 2020. He was he was bad, like really bad. And, and the more you watch the games, the more you talk to people, uh, a lot of that was, okay, the line wasn't healthy, but he was trying way too hard to make every single play. And then I come back to his stubbornness. I think his stubbornness got the best of him. And... You know, clearly there was a disconnect between him and Doug, and you saw how the team responded in that Saints game with Jalen.
0: Yeah. And
1: and granted, they lost the, the the next three games, and we're talking about a rookie quarterback. And I'm not saying Jalen is like the next coming, but I just go back to how backup quarterbacks and that offense looked when when they were on the field and how they responded and. In 2020, they were not responding to what Carson Wentz was doing. They like, there was a. I mean, that Browns game was brutal. That yeah. that was a bad game. Yeah. Like that, that was one of those frustrating games where it was like, Wentz, what? You're holding on to the ball way too long, um, and and you're costing this team. And when that continues to happen, and the same mistakes continue to happen, you could lose a locker room. And it, it was evident he, he lost the locker room.
0: Yeah. Um, is El Duncan still giving the crap for the uh, Sixers loss?
1: Yeah, you know <laughs> Ken, it's great though. That, that's why we do what we do and we love what we love, right? Like yeah. it, it's it, you know El is a very good friend, and she knew it was coming if the Hawks were going to lose, and at the same time. You know, we, we do the videos and the conversations on TV, but uh, behind the scenes, we're always being very real with our teams. We know our shortcomings. We know our strengths. We know how nervous we are. Uh, I think she was just as surprised as everyone with the Hawks' performance and and how they looked. So, it, 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 and she was surprised by it by the Sixers because she always told me, Kevin, she's like, we're going in with nothing to lose. You guys have more to lose this, this series. And she was 100% right. Yeah. And, I, and we talked about this last night on the air. the And we're seeing that right now in the Bucs series, too. The Hawks are a better team and they're better coached. But the Sixers and the Bucks have better players. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. And time and time again, we've seen that in sports, that the better team and the better coach wins out over the better roster. And we're seeing that right now, specifically, you know, with what the Hawks are doing. And uh, I... So that back-and-forth banter, I think um, it's why we get into sports. It's why we have a great time when, when you're watching with your buddies and you can give each other the business. And um, for us to be able to do that on the air and, and through social media, and people people love it, and, and, and they feed off of it because it, it's – it's a great break from all the seriousness and all the stuff that we have to face on a daily basis in a pandemic.
0: Yeah. Well, she's a Broncos fan, I think, right? too, right?
1: She is. And yeah. Eagle, her Eagle, family's from the Denver area. Eagle, yep. Eagles and
0: Broncos playing this year, so there's another. <laughs> good, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. We'll call that the Joe Flacco Bowl. <laughs> Who knows, right? Like, uh, and both of our teams, we, we go in with no expectations, yeah. and even El a joke saying, "Hey, listen, I've got to live it up because football season is going to be really long." Yeah. So, um, you know, and again, like she's an Atlanta fan, like with the Braves she knows about heartbreak the hawks she knows about heartbreak her husband's a falcons fan so she knows about heartbreak Mm -hmm. she's a georgia fan so it's very relatable to what uh i am as a philadelphia fan so when we give each other the business we can uh, we can take some low blows
0: (laughs) well kevin where can people find you on social media
1: uh kevin nagandi so uh at kevin nagandi on instagram at kevin nagandi on twitter and um, of course, uh, Monday through Friday, weeknights, um, Sports Center at 6 p.m. Eastern Time.
0: And 8 o'clock Thursday night for the Spelling Bee Finals. And uh, that will be a lot of fun. And Kevin, I'm honored to have you on as a native Philadelphian. I share your pain, and uh, hopefully, Eagles will turn things around in 2021.
1: Candidate, uh, it's been a pleasure, man. I'm glad we can catch up and keep representing us in the state of New York.
0: I'm doing my best, trust me. In fact, my son was even born in Schenectady. He's a big. Philadelphia sports fan, very emotional and uh, uh, gets very upset when they lose. <laughs> like his dad. I understand. This.
1: That's our heartbreak, yeah. right? That's what we pass on to our our kids.
0: Yeah, that's right. Kevin Nagandy, appreciate a few minutes. Coming up, I'll speak with Hall of Fame pitcher John Smoltz as he gets ready to play in the American Century Championship Golf Celebrity Tournament. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast.
2: Sign up for the weekly Daily Gazette sports newsletter. The newsletter features updates on the local sports scene from our staff writers, debate on topics local and national, and reveals the latest guests for the Parting Shots podcast. The newsletter is free. To sign up, head to dailygazette.com. Hi,
3: this is Pete Incavillia, manager of the Tri-City Valley Cats and former Major Leaguer. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette, associate sports editor, and upstate New York's biggest Philadelphia Phillies fan, Ken Schott. Welcome
0: back to the podcast. The baseball all-star game is coming up Tuesday, so it's a good time to talk baseball with the Hall of Famer John Smoltz of Fox Sports and MLB Network. Smoltz is playing in this weekend's American Century Championship Celebrity Golf Tournament. Well, John, I appreciate a few minutes to have. Uh, yeah, I know you're busy with your schedule and all that stuff and getting ready for this uh, golf tournament. How much are you looking forward to playing this in, in the American Century Championship?
3: It's my favorite event. I come to it every year with the same anxiousness. I want to win. And if I don't win, I feel like I've left empty every year. I haven't won yet. So it's, it's, it really is the venue. It's the people, it's the cause, it's the first-class tournament. I mean, it is everything for a celebrity wannabe golfer that you could dream of.
0: I mean, you know, obviously, when you were pitching for the Braves, you you know, you know, played a lot of golf with uh, Greg Maddox and um, Steve Avery and uh, Tom Glavin. I mean, how much fun is it, is it to play golf?
3: Well, you know, golf back then was a release for us. That's why we played so long in the big leagues. I really believe it. Got away from the mental grind of every five days being physically – Um, locked in mechanically kind of consumed with your mechanics so golf was an outlet for four days in between that we could just kind of relax and it did change the monotony You know, the the long sport so golf has been a passion of mine ever since I started in A-ball that's when I picked it up and I always felt like I could take golf and see what I applied in baseball and see if I could apply it to golf now it's a more demanding sport mentally believe it or not than than pitching was, and I thought that was as demanding as it gets, mainly because the time in between shots is so long compared to the time in between pitches. And, you know, not to mention you got teammates in a team sport that help you out.
0: Yeah. I mean, did you play any courses up in Glens Falls when you were there, pitching there?
3: Yeah. I can't remember some of them by by name right now, but, you know, I started playing, I was kind of started in A-ball in Lakeland, took my clubs, you know, Glen Falls, I forget one of the names, is a pretty good golf course up there. Um, we had our team tournament. Uh, I'll never forget one of the tournaments we had where, um, you know, there's, that's just bonding and a lot of fun. So, yeah, yeah,
0: I did. yeah Glen Falls is not too far for about a half hour, 45 minute drive from Schenectady. So, it to gets to me a chance to ask you about Glen Falls. Speaking of uh, local uh, pitchers, uh, uh, Ian Anderson for Shenandoah High, Shenando, uh, Shenando High School yeah. graduate. Now you've, you know, you've said some great things about him when you've had a chance to call his games on Fox and MLB Network. What do you like about his makeup?
3: Uh you know, I always talk about a pitcher under the hood, uh like the under the hood, the engine of a car, cuz that engine races for a lot of guys and it can get out in front of you and it can cause you to do some things you don't want to do on a pitching mound. Pressure's an incredible thing and it, it affects people in different ways and Ian Anderson at least doesn't show it. He looks calm, looks like he's a veteran. And, you know, you, you're going to have your moments where you don't feel comfortable or you don't feel like you're throwing the ball where you want to. But he didn't show it. He does not give the hitter an advantage. Anytime you give the hitter an advantage by your emotions and or your body language, uh, you, you're in trouble. And he doesn't do that.
0: And it's, you know, like he pitches Game 7 of the National League Championship Series against the Dodgers last, uh, last October in, in Arlington, Texas. What does that tell you about the confidence that they had in him uh, giving him the ball in Game 7?
3: Yeah, I mean, he was one of their pitchers that you could count on other than Max Freed. Uh, you know, the Braves kind of limped in, not limped into the playoffs, they just limped in with their starters. They didn't have anybody they could count on. And if there weren't for Ian Anderson, of course, and Max Fried who carried the team, uh, you know, they, they would have never been in that position. But if pitch game seven, you know, it felt like he handled everything that came with it. Um, yeah, it was different. No fans, not as many. Uh, and, you know, It'll
0: serve him well for the future. That's for sure. Yeah. Speaking of the state of baseball, John, I mean, you, know, you played in the era with you know, it was, you know home runs here, and now we're seeing pitching dominate. Uh, shifting uh, is prevalent. I was at a game in Philadelphia visiting my mom uh, last weekend, a game against the Padres, and Bryce Harper hits a line drive to right field with short base set. and I see Manny Machado, a third baseman out there, halfway out in right field, feels the ball and throws Harper out. Are we at the point now where baseball's got to look at this, what's going on? Offenses aren't doing well. Pitching's dominating, and defense is really taking away what normally are sure hits.
3: Well, the shift will go away, and I'm confident of that. I know it's a lot of pushback. There's been a lot of talk about it. It's going to be altered one way or another. It has to. And if the shift can do that, to a baseball player, then think about what every team's going to do. They're going to shift everyone they can because the ground ball's out. So some of the stuff that's going on with pitchers is changing the game a little bit offensively, and I think the shift would change the game offensively for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, as far as the, also the analytics, launch angles, and you know, we're seeing tons of strikeouts. And you know, back in my, I mean, I was growing up, strikeouts were frowned upon. Now it's like, yeah, no big deal. We what, what, what's got what's got to change the attitude of you know striking out a lot.
3: Well, if you philosophically change some rules, like the shift, which cause people to try to hit the ball on the ground again, which they're not trying to do. If you never try to hit the ball on the ground, you're going to swing and miss a lot. If you're trying to hit every ball over the fence, you're going to swing and miss a lot. And so from that standpoint, you got to have um, some rule changes to affect the philosophy of the game, which therefore would change the style of the game. Right now they're just hitting accordingly to um, how they're being pitched and the velocity in the game. So they're actually teaching in some instances with a man on first. Whatever you do, don't hit the ball on the ground. Stay away from two outs. We'd rather you swing and miss and strike out or hit the ball over the fence. So those things will have to change in a rule. Otherwise, if a rule doesn't come into play, why is anybody going to change the way they think currently? It's just just they're not.
0: Yeah, and I see that you know, the extra in games when you put a runner on second base. I, especially the home teams, they're not bunting that runner over to third base. I mean, you, you want the run to come home. Why, why not play fundamental baseball?
3: Well, the reason that's happening again analytically will tell you that there's too much swing and miss in the game anyway. So if you give them an out, then the chances of hitting a ball to drive the run go down because guys are swinging and missing a lot. So I understand it, you know, but I don't. I don't think it's the proper way. Um, that's just my opinion. I think when you put stress on a pitcher and stress on a defense, that's the proper way. It may not always work, but a strikeout's never driven in a run unless it's a wild pitch with three. You know, you know, that gets to the screen. So contact you could make an error um you know you could hit it at somebody I get it but that's why you're seeing some of the strategy play out the way it
0: is yeah but Jacob DeGrom has been just Bob Gibson like this year I mean ERA going into Wednesday's game I actually think he gave up with two runs today which is highly unusual but the what he has done this year I mean you know, throw out all the analytics throw out all the strikeouts just how impressed are you with what he has done this year
3: Yeah, he's the best pitcher in our game, and no one would argue that. Um, He's been trending that way for a long time. He has mastered velocity, location, and change of speeds and direction. I think just, you know, pitching can be simplified and it can be pretty easy, but you can complicate it too and get carried away with all the analytics and information. He doesn't, to my opinion, worry about anybody that's in the plate. He knows what he can do. He executes his pitches, and he banks at his pitches, and his execution is going to be better than anybody that's at the plate. And I think he's proven that, that his athletic, limber body has allowed a freakish arm to deliver and stay somewhat healthy um, under the circumstances of the most dominant pitcher we've seen yeah. in a long time yeah.
0: how much are you looking forward to the All-Star Game Tuesday especially the home run derby with Otani out there I mean, just that's that's going to be a lot of fun uh, out in Denver
3: no doubt it's going to be fun to watch Otani do something we've never ever seen in our game short of Babe Ruth and none of us were able to see him so um, this is a, a marquee stud and what he's doing has never been predicted there's no way you can even think about anything other than he is the MVP and he would have to fall completely down in the second half to
0: not win it. Well, John, I appreciate you getting a few minutes. I know you're busy with uh, getting ready for this golf tournament and getting ready for the All-Star Game next week. Uh, we can watch the All-Star Game uh, Tuesday night on Fox uh, starting at 730. My pleasure. Thanks, John. Right. Thanks, John. Yep. Bye-bye. Up next, I'll talk to Ken Fang of Awful Announcing. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast.
2: Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now in these difficult times we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions and every day They answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to the dailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading.
4: Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Party Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott.
0: Welcome back to the podcast. The Ken Fang of awful Announcing joins me now to talk about some of the latest news in the media. Ken, how are you doing and how are you
4: holding up in this,
0: this heat with the heat wave we've been having?
4: <laughs> well, uh, we were in Rhode Island We had some decent weather up until Today, we're going to get humidity back But uh, overall, we've been
0: surviving it Yeah, well we're taping this on Tuesday And uh, the NHL and NBC Gets at least one more game uh, Game 5 between the Canadians and the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Canadians winning in the overtime Monday night, 3-2 to two. And uh, whatever that last Broadcast will be, it'll be the end of an era with uh, the NHL and NBC What is the legacy of this, uh, Ken. I mean, you, you, think, you think about going back when the NHL came out of that uh, lost season in 2004-2005. Uh, they didn't have a TV contract. ESPN decided they didn't want anything to do with the NHL. And the N- NBC they went to the NBC and Outdoor Life Network at the time and said, "You know, put our games on, no rights fees, we'll, we'll figure it out.
4: Mhm. Uh, I think NBC has been a great partner, uh, going basically from 2005 all the way until 2021. Uh, they were the ones that helped market the sport in between that time, uh, going all the way. It's even starting the Winter Classic, uh, bringing in some new nuances like. Uh, inside the glass with Pierre Maguire. Um, It's been raised up with Brian Boucher. Uh, I think that NBC's brought in a lot of great things like putting in cameras uh, ice level. uh, Also the zip cam as well coming in as well trying to show the speed of the players. So I think there's been a lot of great things that NBC has done. Um, the NHL has decided that uh, instead of having one network, which NBC had a rights for for 10 years, uh, basically from 2011 until this season, they decided to go with two partners with, of course, ESPN and TNT. They have a high level to uh, maintain. I know everyone is nostalgic for the NHL on ESPN, but don't forget that ESPN basically wanted to cut the NHL uh, when they got the NBA in twenty in 2003. They, they cut back on some of their coverage, and while people are nostalgic for Gary Thorne and Bill Clement and that great team that they had. Don't forget that they basically tried to shovel it to ESPN two, which was not as high, uh, highly viewed as it is today. So, um, you know, they do have a high level to come in. ESP, uh, NBC has done a, quite a bit to uh, raise the sport and market the sport and raise the level of the of the ratings. And don't forget, when OLN was around, it was Comcast only. That was before NBC became a part of Comcast. So it was a separate entity. And then finally, when they merged into NBC uh, and, and Comcast and became NBCSN, that's when the, the partnership really took off and raised to another, another level. But uh, ESPN and TNT, I know they're going to do a great Job, but they still have uh, quite a few uh, a, a, a bar to uh, to reach up to NBC's level.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, Mike Emrick, you know, came back in the national prize the lead announcer. He had John Davidson as a partner early on. Before JD left to go uh work in management, I think it was the uh, St. Louis Blues at the time. Uh, yeah. And of course, Eddie Olczyk comes in and you know, does a great job. And I just. In fact, they've had some great announcers. I mean, Kenny Alberts and uh, John Forslund have been in there. And we see some rising stars in Alex Faust, who's at uh, College of Kings for Valley Sports uh, uh, West, and uh, Brendan Burke, who calls the Islanders games on MSG+. So we we got to hear a lot more diversity, or a lot more voices, I should say, uh, and, and some darn good ones.
4: Yeah, and we can't forget Dave Strader, the late Dave yeah, Strader right. who did who was the original number two announcer after Doc Emmerich, uh, did a, some great work for NBC, uh, called that great uh, Game 7 between Boston and Toronto, which is one of the great moments in Maple Leafs history when they had a 4-1 lead in the third period and then collapsed and lost in overtime. I'm a Bruins fan. I, 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 I have to throw that shot at the Maple Leafs. But Dave Strader called that Game 7, and he was... Uh, he, he was just at the beginning stages of, of cancer at that point and then um, worked through his cancer with NBC. Uh, I'll never forget some of the work that he did and also called one of the winter classics because Doc Emmerich had laryngitis. So uh, NBC has, as you mentioned, Sam Flett, who was the executive producer of the NHL and NBC, put together a great staff um, when NBC th- – puts its uh, head into, into a sport, it really goes all in. And I think, I, I know that people were saying at the beginning NBC's coverage wasn't that great, it wasn't that it wasn't doing that well, but it really went to a point where it, it, it really laid, raised all of its production of where it was with the Sunday night football. I really do think that, and uh, I think that uh, ESPN and NTNT are going to really have to, uh, I know that some people from, NBC are going to go to TNT and to ESPN to work. But uh, that whole entity, the NHL unit, was really one of the best production uh, units that uh, I've seen in in the last decade or so.
0: Yeah, Kenny Albert and Eddie Olchek are going to uh, TNT. Brian Boucher is going to ESPN. Uh, ESPN recently announced uh, its lineup, and man, it's a star-studded lineup. I think the mild surprise to me, and maybe some a lot of folks, Sean McDonough is going to be the lead play-by-play announcer. But of course, Sean has done hockey. He did the uh, 1998 Olympics for CBS, and he's done some college hockey. So I mean, it's I mean I think Sean will do a fine job
4: he will do a great job i mean i i live in the new england area i'm very familiar with sean's work he started off as a hockey announcer for uh wsbk tv 38 uh in boston called a lot of hockey east games uh Went up to the – called some Bruins games uh, when their main announcer, Fred Cusick, wasn't available. Um, But also, as you mentioned, did the 1998 Olympics for CBS. That was the first Olympics with NHL players. He called them flawlessly. He thought he was going to get a major (laughs) announcement from CBS, and they ended up dumping him. So that's where – and that's how he went went to ESPN ever since. But – Sean has been biding his time at ESPN. He's been wanting to get the, be that lead announcer for quite some time. He was a lead announcer for a couple of years for Monday Night Football, but now he gets to call a sport that he really knows well. I know that the hockey fans will warm to him because he has that hockey background. So uh, if you find a, a video on YouTube of, of uh, Sean calling the Olympics in 1998, he also called the first – Women's hockey gold medal game in 1998 between the U.S. and Canada, and did that flawlessly as well. So I think you're you're going to be very very pleased with uh, Sean calling four Stanley Cup Finals for ESPN. I think you'll be very pleased.
0: Yeah, one uh, interesting hire, and I think a good hire as well, is uh, Leah Hextall, uh, cousin of yep. Ron Hextall, and Leah called the five overtime game between uh, North Dakota and Minnesota Duluth in the NCAA hockey East Regionals. Back in March, and she did a phenomenal job, and I, I'm, I'm hoping to get her on the podcast one of these days, and actually welcome her to the Five Overtime Club since I covered a couple of Five Overtime games myself <laughs> throughout my career. But uh, just the uh, you know, having being have, able to you know, bring her along, we saw AJ Molesso is going to be there, uh, Hillary Knight's going to be there. So I mean, it's uh, it's nice to see more and more women getting involved in the broadcasting.
4: And also, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, who does work for CBC and Sportsnet up in Canada, will be one of ESPN's analysts. She has done a great job over there as well. She's one of the main people, not only... Who, uh as a main analyst but also inside the glass analyst uh she of course part of uh canada's olympic uh hockey team uh for women and so i think she's going to do a fantastic job hillary knight has done some great work for nhl network and as you mentioned leah hextall has been biding her time calling she has done what you have to do as a hockey announcer she has done what she, she's paid her dues, calling minor league hockey calling women's hockey games uh college college hockey games she's been basically bringing her tape recorder everywhere she goes to call a, a hockey games. Um, I remember when she started doing some work over at Neston. she wanted to do some hockey. They never really gave her that opportunity. So she left to go back to Canada. Uh, she worked for the municipal office in Alberta, uh, She's done a lot of work. She's paid her dues, and I think it's finally paying off by her getting a play-by-play assignment for the NHL on ESPN. I think she'll do a fantastic job.
0: Of course, really some big names, analysts, studio analysts, at least uh, TNT, brings along Wayne Gretzky, ESPN counters with Mark Messier. Of course, you see Chris Chelios, too, another Stanley Cup champion. It's, uh, I mean, it's nice to have these big names, but yeah, Messier and Gretzky, are they ready to be doing this? I mean, we, don't, we don't know what their TV talents are.
4: Well, what's interesting, if you remember that uh, you you mentioned briefly about the NBC uh, montage that they showed before last night, before Monday night's Game 4, Stanley Cup Final, Mark Messier was the original NHL NBC uh, studio analyst. Bill Clement was the host for NBC and OLN, so he I'll admit he wasn't that great, to be honest with you. I'm hoping that uh, some time will give him uh, some opportunity to hone his skills. But to be honest with you, uh, the the people that NBC have brought in, like Keith Jones and Anson Carter and also uh, Patrick Sharp, uh, they've honed them quite well. They, they've done a great job with them. I don't know if they're going to be coming over. I know Kevin Weeks is coming over from the NHL Network, who is a fantastic studio analyst. Uh NBC, uh, I'm not sure about, T- I think TNT has mentioned about, as you mentioned, Wayne Gretzky, but again, we don't know about his uh, ability to be on uh, with, uh, in, in the studio. Uh, we just have to wait and see and how that works out. Uh, they'll have to tweak it as they go along, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, fault either of those networks if they tapped at a, a person like Anson Carter or Patrick Sharp, because those two have done a fantastic job over the years and becoming, really, really good, um, uh, analysts, uh, for NBC. I
0: can see Keith Jones, who's, me you know, been a staple at NBC Sports, uh, he also does the analyst for the Flyers games on NBC Sports Philadelphia, and, uh, also on the morning, part of the morning show in WIP in Philadelphia. I could probably see him probably say, I've done enough traveling now, I'll just, uh, get back to doing Flyers and staying there.
4: Right, right, absolutely, I mean, um, Keith has done Yeoman's work. Actually, he goes all the way back to the OLN and, and working with uh, Bill Clement uh, w- uh, on OLN. So he's been done Yeoman's work. So you're absolutely right. I, if, if he decides to stay in Philadelphia, that's fine too. Um, but uh, you know, a, a lot of NBC's uh, studio analysts really should be tapped by both ESPN and, and TNT for their for their work and for their networks and for their uh, NHL units. And I think that I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too disappointed in that.
0: Yeah. Well, let's speak at uh, another big event coming up later this month is the Olympics uh, canceled uh, postponed last year because of the pandemic. A lot of issues still in, in Tokyo with, with the coronavirus pandemic. NBC is going to be, you know, obviously giving us lots of coverage here. What, what are you expecting out of this? And, of course, now Peacock's in the
4: mix. This yes, so expect to see a lot of uh, events on Peacock. It used to be online when uh, NBC would change their NBC uh, sports app to NBC Olympics for that uh, one month of coverage. Um, I expect to see, of course, a lot of stuff on USA. Uh, Rebecca Lowe will be uh, hosting that, uh, will be a, ma- a main host on NBC. But, of course, Catherine Tappan, who does the NHL on NBC, will be a host on USA. S N will, will have a little bit of coverage as well. Um, and the Olympic Channel is also going to have some coverage as well. But I think a majority of the coverage that you've been used to seeing online for free on NBCSports.com or the NBC Sports app is going to be shuffled to Peacock. Uh, This is something they tried to do last year. They were hoping to launch the Peacock with a lot of fanfare for the Olympics in 2020. Of course, that didn't happen because of COVID. But uh, the interesting things are going to be uh, watching some of the coverage on CNBC. Shepard Smith is going to be a host. Uh, Carl Quintanilla who is also a a member of CNBC. He is going to be uh, a host as well. And then there's gonna be, of course, uh, some of the people from Golf Channel, Kara Banks and Damon Damon Hack are gonna be hosting uh, coverage as well. So uh, it's gonna be an interesting mix to see how NBC handles this. They're very experienced in doing this. the main thing is how they're going to be covering COVID. Uh, NBC has been known to not cover the big stories, the heavy news stories when the Olympics happens and basically shuffle it on the right. But COVID is a big part of this. That's going to be a big part of this coverage this year because we don't know. Uh, Tokyo says the the Olympic organizing committee says they're going to be trying to uh Keep the Olympics safe, but when we hear about that first athlete getting COVID and how quickly it will spread through the Olympic Village and how NBC is going to be handling that in that coverage, that's going to be uh, interesting to watch. And will they try to shuffle that under the rug, or will they make that a big part of their coverage?
0: I mean, could you imagine Jim McKay not ignoring a sport and major news story if he was here to host the Olympics? Like, I mean, you think back to 1972 at the the, uh, the Munich Games and the tragedy there. I mean, it's, it's, it's this pandemic's a big story. We can't ignore it, and, and if NBC ignores it, they're not doing their job.
4: No, they're not, and, and especially if COVID takes over. Let's say the Olympic track team, uh, especially the relays. Uh, how is that going to be handled? We're already seeing how how handled one of the runners uh, had marijuana. Uh, and, and suspend it for that how that's going to affect the team how will NBC cover that coverage so uh, cover that story so uh, again NBC's been known to ignore stuff in the past uh, after the Olympic bombing in 1996 they covered it the day of but then pretty much ignored it after that dick ever saw the executive producer of NBC sports at the time uh, basically hit it under the rug wouldn't let anybody mention it so uh You know, I'm going to be interested to see how they they cover it this time, because you cannot ignore COVID. You cannot ignore what's going on. And if it starts to run rampant in the Olympic Village and it starts running rampant amongst the athletes and even the media, how are they going to cover that coverage? Because, you know, it's I know NBC has this big relationship with the the Olympics and they're locked into the Olympics until 2032. Um, I know that they try to be a a very good partner to the Olympics, and I know that the the, the MO and, uh, the Matt Motorized the MO is basically with a partner is to basically put them in the best light possible but when you have a news story like this I don't think you can ignore it and I'm I'm going to be interested to see how NBC handles it yeah uh,
0: going back to ESPN now as we uh, wrap up this segment uh, controversy between Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor uh, concerning oh comments <laughs> Nichols made about uh, Maria Taylor uh, getting the, uh, to host the NBA Finals on ABC and uh, How does Rachel, let me read the uh, comment uh, that Rachel was, and she admitted she apologized on the the jump on Monday. The comment which really got a lot of people upset is, uh, I mean we should say Maria Taylor is black, Rachel Nichols is white. I wish Maria Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football, she covers basketball. If you need to give her more things to do because you are feeling pressure about your crappy, long-time record on diversity, which, by the way, I know personally from the female side of it, like, go for it. Just find it somewhere else. You are not going to find it for me or taking my thing away. And uh, how is Rachel Nichols not suspended?
4: You know, I think one of the reasons why, Ken, is the fact that her comments were illegally recorded even though it was on an espn server even though she was talking on a on a a video line that was installed by espn it was a private conversation between her and the uh, uh a consultant for lebron james and uh because that was recorded I think Rachel Nichols kind of has a legal legal leg to stand to say that, look, you, even though that you made these comments and they were distributed within ESPN, they were illegally recorded. So uh, there's that legal standpoint. But still, what she said was absolutely wrong. And uh, it sounds like an entitled person uh, talking about how she was wronged, even though um, Maria Taylor, who has the absolute credentials to be hosting the NBA Finals, uh, she did Maria dirty there. And then making it even worse was that ESPN fired the employee that taped that conversation and distributed it by reducing her assignments and making her leave. And then the ESPN made it even worse last week by releasing a story and leaking a story to Andrew Marchand of the New York post. Maria Taylor was offered $5 million a year, quote unquote, Stephen A Smith money. And then now decides that we're going to offer her less. So they're saying that basically she's greedy. Um, you don't blame Maria Taylor for saying, you know what? I'm, even though ESPN gave my break, good old ESPN, her contract is up. So I want to. Blame her for leaving. And what ESPN does with Rachel Nichols is the next story. Uh, I Someone asked me, does, do you think she's going to be taken off the NBA Finals as the lead sideline reporter? And I said, you know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN did nothing. And that's exactly what they're doing. Rachel is going to be the lead sideline reporter for the NBA Finals this week uh, and next week. Uh, she'll be there, uh, Maria Taylor will be hosting that, uh, we all know that how awkward it is because you read the New York Times story that came out on Sunday about this whole situation um, and, and ESPN again has a crisis management which they fail in how they handle the situation, I don't know how many situations I've, I've read uh, and, and we've covered Ken over the years about ESPN with a situation where they, they absolutely do the wrong thing and here they are instead of perhaps trying to get the two women together to try to, uh, to iron out their differences they just let it fester and Jimmy Bataro who tried who's the president of ESPN who uh, allegedly tried to uh, mend this whole thing uh, during a family outing as we heard in the reporting and the story on Sunday uh, has just failed and uh, you know now you have a situation where Maria Taylor's gonna leave you have Rachel Nichols, uh, who is basically uh, the face of everything wrong that's happened with diversity at ESPN? So, um, how they're going to handle it in the future, where they just let this try and as as we mentioned, try to push it under the rug? They really can't because right now, every time you watch the NBA Finals, you see Bria Taylor hosting, you see Rachel Nichols on the sidelines, and you're just going to be reminded of this story. So, I don't know how. I, I, they should have reassigned uh, Rachel Nichols from the sidelines, but uh, you know that's what. That, that, as we see, ESPN is just not handling this correctly.
0: Yeah, I mean it's going to be. I mean that, that that drama might be top top the, the finals between the Suns and the uh, the Bucks. I mean, what's going to happen? We're going to see an onset fight or something
4: like that. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is, is that when you have TMZ making this part of their big coverage that it's, it's one of the, it's flashed on the front page, to, uh, this week, uh, as part of their coverage, you know, that this is transcending, what this event is supposed to be. And the NBA, of course, you know, you've got them wanting to handle a a, a big event. And instead you've got people wanting to talk about what's going on at ESPN between um, Maria Taylor and and Rachel Nichols. And that's going to be a storyline until the finals uh, ends because people are going to be seeing Maria Taylor and saying, you know, this is going to be the end of her career at at ESPN. She's going to be probably signing a contract. I wouldn't be surprised if she goes to Fox or or NBC or even TNT, which has the NBA. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, ESPN continues to use Rachel Nichols on the NBA so uh, and it's just one of those situations where I, I think they, ESPN tries to they're not even trying to do the right thing, they're just doing nothing and that's, that's, that's what's making it even worse.
0: Do you think Nichols' apology was sincere on Monday?
4: Probably in her mind, it wasn't. It didn't come off as sincere. And even worse, they had to have Richard Jefferson and Kendra Perkins sit next to her and discuss the whole thing. I'm sure they didn't want to discuss it either. Here's two black men who were probably, it might be in Maria, I don't want to speculate, but they might be in Maria Taylor's camp, but they have to sit there and try and say, oh, you know, Rachel, we accept your apology. They have to be put in that spot. And again, it's it's ESPN trying to show that... Uh, they're in front of this thing where instead of doing this, they're just really doing a poor job and at, handling at the whole situation. I just I, I just probably, if, if it were me, and of course I'm not ESPN and my name is not on any company, but if it were me, i just say, hey, Rachel, take two, three weeks off. Take maybe the rest of your contract off because the, the more that she's on uh, hosting something or being the sideline reporter for an event, this whole thing, this whole story is still in the forefront. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, again, ESPN uh, not leading but following and just just trying to uh, get out of its own way.
0: Well, Ken, I appreciate a few minutes talking to some media. Uh, enjoy the rest of the summer. Enjoy watching the Olympics. And, uh, you know, once we get uh, maybe into the fall, we'll talk uh, football and uh, the, obviously, the implications of next year's contract with Amazon coming on board. So, a lot of stuff to talk about as we uh, roll down the, uh, down to the end of the
4: year, and I'm sure we'll be talking about the NHL on ESPN and TNT sometime down the road.
0: Yes, we will. Ken Fang of Also announcing. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you. All right, we'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winners in the Daily Gazette auto racing contest in just a moment. The NASCAR season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. Go to dailygazette.com to sign up and play. Predict the order of finish of each race via your auto racing account. The fan with the most correct points for the race will win a $50 grocery card and have their name mentioned on the Party Shots podcast and printed in Friday's Daily Gazette. The fan with the most overall points at the end of the season wins a $250 grocery card. You can also win a $75 Visa gift card provided by 2nd Street if you're the weekly national winner. If you are the overall national winner, you will win a trip for two to the 2022 Daytona 500. So go to dailygazette.com, sign up, and play today. The Daily Gazette Auto Racing Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department.
4: Hi, this is Harborside Hal Wafer, I'm the manager of the River Sportsbook at Rivers Casino and Resort. Now, it's always a winning bet to listen to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott.
0: Back to wrap up the podcast. Here are the recent winners in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest. There were two races in Week 18 two weekends ago. The winner in the Pocono Organics CBD 325 was Ernest Turcott of Mechanicville while Patricia Barlow of Queensbury was the winner in the Explore the Pocono Mountains 350. The Week 19 winner in the Jockey Made in America 250 was Jerry Krause of Fort Plain. Ernest, Patricia, and Jerry each won a $50 grocery gift card. Congratulations! The VIP winners were Jim Schultz, Nick Platel of Grand Premier Tire, and myself in the Pocono Organics 250. Playtel also won in the Explore the Pocono Mountains 350. Anthony Manning of Colonial Car Wash was the Jockey Made in America 250 winner. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play the contest, go to DailyGazette.com and click on the link for contest and promotions. Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Kevin DeGandhi, John Smoltz, and Ken Fang for coming on the show. Next week, we'll preview the start of the Saratoga horse racing season with the Gazette horse racing writer, Mike McAdam. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York,
2: good day, good sports.